uh, leads our uh, ministry teams and uh, has got some awesome testimonies from we had our healing rooms yesterday. So once a month we have healing rooms where you can either uh, phone in or I guess we're doing them in person now. So why don't you tell what's happening. Good morning, Zion. God bless you. Um, and thank you, Pastor Jim. Yeah. Um, it was really on my heart this morning, um, really reflecting on yesterday in pre-service prayer. Felt a real spiritual burden for healing. Um, I'm a, we had uh, 10 people come here to the church that I know of, not counting those that were prayed for over the phone yesterday. But I'll share two uh, yesterday. We had uh, three ladies that drove about between seven and a half, eight hours wow. from Upper Michigan. Wow. Um, it was awesome. Uh, one of them uh, I'll speak about happened to be, uh, had been involved in martial arts for an extended period of time and had been suffering from severe skeletal pain, muscle pain, just been dealing with it for years. So it was interesting. Before we prayed for her, I looked at her. I said, this might sound strange, but I'm going to tell you something. I said, before we pray for you, I want you to know I'm going to ask you to do something after we pray. I want you to do push-ups. I think I never break something. I'm like, I push ups better. <laughs> yeah. I'd like you to do some push ups. She looks at me and she said, Oh, okay. So we prayed, for, we prayed over her. And um, I, I mentioned that Chris was with me yesterday and I mentioned to him coming in. I said, Did you see what happened yesterday? He goes, Oh, yeah, I felt it. This doesn't always happen. But we're praying for her. And literally, suddenly, her body starts to tremble and vibrate. She's just, so we prayed for her in Jesus' name, amen. I said, okay, it's time. So she got down on the floor, and she did the push-ups. Then she was able to tell she didn't have that pain that she'd be used Come to on, having. so good. Amen. So then we had a couple that drove two hours to come. Uh, they both needed prayer, but the wife, uh, they were, Zion was recommended by another ministry for them to come here. So the wife had uh, overcome cancer, but as a result of the treatment, she, I don't know the medical term, but she was very sensitive to any odors, any aromas. They couldn't go out to eat. Everything, it affected her entire life. She could barely do anything. So I told her, I said, you know, we're going to pray for you, and you need to expect to get well. And after we pray, I want you to do something. I said, I don't know we, what we have around here that smells good. I said, I know what. Why don't you go to the ladies' room? And yeah, see, not the men's room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those and see if, smell good. You know, wash your hands or do whatever. Yeah, that's a good idea. So um, we prayed for her, and she was so blessed. We prayed for her, and after she was prayed for, she left the room, went to the ladies' room, and she returned. She came back in the room going, and the husband says, what are you doing? What are you doing? She goes, I use hand sanitizer. I've never used hand sanitizer. Wow. She goes, I don't smell it. So then I hugged her. 
So I'm hugging her. I said, Jesus healed you. Jesus healed you. Then I let it go. I said, uh, I'm wearing cologne. She goes, I know you are. And it's not bothering me. Oh, wow. So good. I said, I said, the interesting thing is, I never do this. I said, yesterday morning, I stood in my dresser, and I went to reach for the cologne, and I had the thought, maybe I shouldn't wear cologne today. Maybe that's not a good idea. Because you go to hospitals, I say, I don't usually yeah. want to wear it around patients. And I said, no, let me go ahead and put it on. I said, now here you are. You can smell the cologne. That's so good. And it's not bothering her. <laughs> and then it was Megan came up to me. She goes, you know the lady? I said, yeah, you know, we had prayed, they had prayed for her and had a word for her. She said, I hugged her. And then the lady said, well, can you hug me again? So Megan says, well, sure, I'll hug you again. And Megan says, the, the woman said to her, I wanted you to hug me again because I wanted to ask you, do you have anything in your hair, any oils, anything that I can smell? She goes, she goes well, I do. She goes, well, it's not bothering me. So good. God is good. So that's just two. It was an awesome day. Thank you, yeah. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So good. Tell you what, for those of you who are looking to grow in uh, healing anointing, which should be a large percentage of people in here, man, joining the healing rooms, joining the healing teams. It's a great place to practice and get mentored. So uh, Cheryl, why don't you raise your hand, wave. You guys just saw Jamil. So go find him afterwards and just say, hey, I'd like to maybe just observe for a little bit, you know, no pressure, and then just kind of learn some things. Let's just learn a couple of lessons from there. So oftentimes the Holy Spirit will have a manifestation when someone's receiving healing. Trembling is a normal manifestation. When, when that happens, sometimes the person will feel heat, sometimes they'll feel electricity, sometimes they'll feel cold. Those are all good things. Here's some good news. God can heal without manifestations. Okay, so sometimes he gives them there to encourage you, and sometimes they're not there, and you need to be encouraged anyway. So let's just, that's good stuff. And so notice how Jamil had uh, the people act on their faith. Remember we looked at this when Jesus said to the guy with the shriveled hand, stretch out your hand. Uh, we'll see in a little bit, the, the ten lepers, go show yourselves to the priest. They weren't healed as they went, as they were acting on the word of Jesus. And so these people, they didn't know they were healed until she got down and did the push-ups. So she went and started smelling. So faith needs an activity. So just to connect some of the lessons we've been learning. You guys good? All right, today let's look at the two blind men that demonstrate faith. I think, uh, boy, Brian and Jen were up here quoting scriptures about faith. Jamil's talking about faith. And uh, guess what? We're going to be talking about faith today. How many of you guys think faith might be an important thing? All right. 1 John 5, 4 says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So how does faith come? Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So your faith comes from hearing what God has to say about a matter. So if you hear that Jesus has forgiven your sins and your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, and you, uh, when you die, you go to heaven when you know Jesus, you'll have faith for that. But if that's the only message you've heard and you've never heard, that it's always God's will to heal. If you haven't heard that God wants you well, you're not going to have faith in that area. If you haven't heard that God wants to give you an abundance of provision for your finances, all your needs met and enough left over to help others fulfill theirs, have you have the provision for your vision. If you haven't heard that yet, you might think God wants you poor. You might listen to religion and those type of things. You can have strong faith in one area and weak faith of an, in another area if you haven't heard the word of God in that other area. Does that make sense? This is why we got churches that pre-salvation, pre-salvation. They got people getting saved like crazy. They got faith for that, but they don't have faith for anything else. When it comes to healing of finances, they kind of put it down and they just focus on one thing. So if my faith is weak for healing, how do I get more faith? I need to hear what the Lord says about healing, and I need to hear it, and I need to hear it, and I need to hear it. 
And the result is these things that used to seem impossible, they no longer seem impossible. They actually seem doable. They seem possible. I love what Bill Johnson says of this. You know your mind is being renewed when the impossible looks logical. Well, that's, good. that's a good thing. So guess what we're doing? We are going to hear the good news and hear it and hear it. Right in the middle of a 26-part series on the healing miracles stories of Jesus. You're like, Jim, only 26 parts? Oh, we did nine parts right before that, just to kind of lay the foundation there. And so here we are in week 13. And here's the idea, is we're looking at how Jesus did healing ministry. Because he said, the things I'm doing, you're going to do these same works. You're like, Jim, how could we do that? Because the same Holy Spirit that he was empowered by... We know how I have access to the same uh, relationship he had with the Father. He was a son of God. We've been adopted as the children of God. We now can do the things that Jesus did as he did them. So we're learning how to do healing ministry the same way the disciples learned to do healing ministry. What the disciples do? They were looking over the shoulder of Jesus. They were learning from him. And then they went out and it said they turned the world upside down. How's that sound? All right, so Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. So this miracle is only told in Matthew. A lot of the other miracle stories sometimes are told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and multiple, uh, multiple authors. This one's only found here. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. We've seen, that, we've seen those type of statements many times from Jesus. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no, see that no one knows about it. And they listened to Jesus and didn't tell anyone. <laughs> but they went away and spread his fame through all the district. Yeah, man. We've seen that before a few times too, right? And so Matthew's recorded for us a great day in the life of Jesus. Just to kind of put this in context. The night before, this is all in Matthew. This is all like right in a row here. The day before this, Jesus had crossed the lake. And remember, there was that demonically inspired storm that tries to, tries to kill him. Jesus stands up and rebukes the storm. Then they go over to the, um, to the region of Gadara. And a uh, demoniac comes at him. Jesus delivers the demons, uh, the, a legion of demons, throws them in the pigs. The pigs go. They come back on the other side of the lake. We didn't look at this part. But Matthew, the tax collector, the IRS agent, he gathers on the, the IRS agents that day. They were the outcasts of society. I'm not sure they're... Much better in today's society or whatever, but they, uh, no, no offense if you're an IRS agent, but you know, anyway, that's the stereotype. And so uh, he gets all the tax collectors of the area, the outcasts, and he brings them together and has a big party with Jesus. And so uh, he introduces them to Jesus. Right after that, he leaves and go, um, he's leaving, and a synagogue ruler named Jairus comes and says, My daughter's about to die. Jesus is like, Let's go. As Jesus is going, the woman with the hemorrhage, uh, hemorrhage uh, of blood, she's been bleeding for 12 years, grabs Jesus' garment. He, uh, she gets healed, the power comes out, he has a conversation with her, the daughter dies, he goes and raises up the daughter. This is all like in a 24-hour period, and he has very little rest, maybe just a little cat nap on the boat. And so um, I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation, Matthew 9, 27. And after Jesus left the girl's home, what girl's home? Jairus' daughter. Okay, so this is like, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm just about out of breath thinking about this. I'm like, oh my goodness, some people are like, running 26 miles. I'm like, I get tired after driving 26 miles. Like, this is quite a day here. <clears throat> and so there's this crowd. They're, they're just kind of gathering. Jesus kind of just gets picking up this mob, and they're following him. And out of this crowd comes these two blind men, okay? And you got to understand the day in which we're talking. Blind people had a very rough day of it. There wasn't the, uh, the accommodations that we have today, those type of things. And you'll notice as you go through the Gospels, blindness is everywhere. Whenever there's crowds, there's lots of blind people getting healed. We've got individual stories of that. And it was a lot worse, a lot more common than it is today. 
Back then, they would get an eye infection or something, and they didn't know what to do with it. And so the infection would spread. It would turn to blindness. There would be all the flies around them. And you see that uh, in, in those days, the side roads, they'd just be lined with people. They had these beggar's patches where there were just lines of people standing there begging because they couldn't work. There was nothing they could do. They couldn't contribute to society at that time. And so they just had to depend on a few pennies that someone might uh, throw in their can on the way by. Nothing for them to do, no work for them to have. They just sit on the sidewalks begging. And Jesus gives us a vivid picture of what it was like in those times. Remember what he said? He said that the Pharisees were like the blind leading the blind. Remember that? What was going on in that day? The blind were actually leading the blind. They would actually have someone, and they would form a chain, and they would hold on to the cloak behind them, and the one person maybe knew the steps to the beggar's patch, and they would lead. And what did Jesus say? The blind leading the blind, and they all fall into the ditch. So this was apparently happening. As they're, as they're trying to grope their way to find this beggar's patch, on the side of the road, there was these ditches. And you might think, why wouldn't someone help them? I don't know. Okay, I don't know this. I'm just reporting to you what was going on here. But uh, the religious people of the day, the Pharisees, the synagogue officials, they despised the blind. They looked at them like the lepers. You're cursed of God. You've got something wrong. Remember later on, the, the disciples were like, hey, who sent this guy that he's blind? His, him or his parents? Is this some generational curse? They just looked at blindness as a curse, right? So the blind, uh, they were left to themselves, left to beg, kind of outcast of society. But something happens. They hear about Jesus. Now, where does faith come from? Good. I know, I know. I ask a lot of trick questions, and you are brave for even answering. So I just want to affirm you, first of all, in that. Faith comes by hearing. And I emphasize that they heard about Jesus, but they'd never actually seen a miracle. Okay, this is where a lot of people are at today. They've heard about Jesus, but they've actually never seen anything happen. So um, uh, somehow word gets out concerning Jesus. They're in Capernaum, which is kind of a hotbed of Jesus' miracles. So at this time, it's like people are starting to believe this guy can do just about anything. They've heard lots of miracles happening, and so, um, but they've actually never seen a miracle. But I want to emphasize this. Even though they were outcasts, they were Jews, and they still were in an environment that was saturated by people who knew the Old Testament. Okay? Like they didn't have Netflix. They didn't have video games. They didn't have social media. They had the Old Testament that they heard read aloud. And so the... Um, the, uh, the Pharisees really influenced society. They were like the religious zealots. They were like the, the big spiritual people. And, um, you know, when I say that they were saturated by the Old Testament, like, Jim, how saturated? Well, if you were born into a Pharisee home, the fanatics of your day, uh, when you were four years old as a Pharisee, you memorized Leviticus. Now, some of you haven't read Leviticus. And you got four-year-olds. And so why were they so hot on that one? Because Leviticus talks about how without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. At the very foundation, they had to get that concept. By the time you were 12 years old, you memorized Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And you didn't just memorize it by rote where you could stand there and quote it. You had to know it so well that you could interact with questions, and that's what happened at your bar mitzvah. Remember Jesus, when he's 12 years old, he says, i got to be about my father's business. Goes back, what's he doing? He's questioning the uh, synagogue rulers and the Pharisees of the time. What was he doing? He had it all memorized. And he was interacting with us so well, he was astounding them with his questions, with a rabbinic way of asking questions and answering questions with questions. How are we doing? And they continued on, and they would memorize the uh, study of the historical, book, historical books and the prophetic books. So they were saturated with scripture. And I give that background because even though these two blind outcasts, they, uh, they didn't see miracles, they heard things. They, 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 uh, you know, there's lots of blind people who are in the synagogues listening to the messages. In verse 27, it says, And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now, son of David was a popular title for the Messiah. 
And so the people that day, they're waiting for Messiah, but they had a, a wrong view of it. They looked at him as like a military hero or this political figure. Aren't you so glad that Christians today aren't looking to be saved by a political figure? <laughs> we said it before, guys. Uh, Jesus isn't going to arrive on Air Force One. If you're looking to the White House or some political party or movement to save you, it ain't going to happen that way. Didn't happen in Jesus' day, won't happen in our day. And so in Israel, they had this totally wrong concept of what Son of David was about. And so um, back in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7, 12. And he promised David that one day the Messiah, a descendant of yours, would come and rule uh, with the house of righteousness. He would be the Messiah. So the, the prophets caught this, and they began picking up the son of David and describing what it would be like. So let me just give you a couple examples here from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, his prophecy said that out of the house of David, a virgin would conceive and be with child, and his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Chapter 11 says the spirit of the Lord would be upon him in sevenfold glory, spirit of wisdom and counsel and might and all those things. Chapter 32 says this king, the son of David, would be a king who would reign in righteousness. But I think this is where the blind men got excited. Isaiah 35, I've got this one up here. Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. They and the lame man will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for, do for joy. So these were all prophecies concerning the son of David. And so when they're saying son of David, they're recognizing something. Okay, they're, they're, I mean, he, you know, his earthly dad was not named David. It was Joseph, right? So they're, they're recognizing something messianic about, about Jesus. So they put two in together. I mean, think about the excitement. They're, they're hearing these stories. They're the first people to call him son of David in scripture. They're hearing these stories, and they put two and two together, and they're like, it's him. This is the one that all the prophets have been talking about. This is the one that David was promised but would be his descendant. And so uh, they begin to yell and scream. They're swept along with this current. They're recognizing it's Jesus. They begin to yell and scream. I mean, the scripture is different translations talking about. They're doing it loudly. They're not like, son of David, hey, hey, son of David, hey. Son of David, have mercy on me. They're, they're yelling their heads off. And uh, so, okay, just put that on hold. Son of David, we got that part. Put it on hold. Let me read verse 27 again. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us. I mean, we've all heard that. Lord, have mercy. Right? And, and some people, it's in their liturgy, Lord have mercy. What is that talking about? Well, in the Old Testament, we have a covenant. Okay? And uh, I would love to do a series on the seven covenants uh, once we finish this healing series. But I don't know. I also want to do Galatians. I also want to do Isaiah. I want to do a whole bunch of things. All right. But I really want to, I really want to do all of them. All right. And so, um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of things I want to do. All right. So, um, Lord have mercy. So, in the Old Testament, we have a covenant. And the word that we translate mercy in the Old Testament uh, sometimes gets translated as loving kindness, okay? It's a covenant word, okay? It means proper covenant behavior. So here's what that means. If I'm in covenant with you, it means I have so committed myself to you that when you have a problem, your problems become as if they were my problems. And now I'm taking them up as if they were my problems. When you have tears in your eyes, I feel the sting of those, and I cry those tears with you because we are in covenant. What you feel, I feel. What you go through, I now go through. Are you guys seeing this? I'm joined to you, and you are joined to me. Therefore, I am, um, because of the shedding of this covenant blood, I must act in your life. Are you seeing this? And so the word for my action in your life when you're hurting, the word for my action in your life when you have a need is mercy. It's loving kindness. It's a covenant word. So Lord, have mercy. 
Uh, when when uh, someone in a, in a liturgical sense says, Lord, have mercy, what are they doing? They're placing themselves as, I am in someone who is in need of the compassion of God. Uh, we, what do we sing? Open wide your gates, uh, lift up the ancient doors. What are you doing? You're, you're lifting up those gates, and you're putting yourself in a position saying, God, I'm someone who needs your mercy. I recognize you as the great covenant king. We're in, we're in uh, covenant together. You've shed blood. And God, I need your help. It is the posture of a believer. The Psalms are peppered with those phrases, Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. What are they doing? They're recognizing I'm in covenant with you and I'm in need right now. This is the posture of a believer as we walk through life. Notice they weren't asking for equal rights. Um, you healed that daughter of Jairus. Now you got to do it for us too. We're Jews too. No, they're not appealing to this stuff. I've seen, I, I talked about it last week a little bit. I see so much of this in the charismatic movement today. The idea is they've got God backed into a corner, and you've said this, and now you've got to do this because your word says this, and it's like, I don't know, man. You start, you start getting bossy with God. I think you start getting into some dangerous thing. You don't deal with God like that. Well, how do you deal with God? Lord, have mercy. Lord, I'm so thankful for your covenant, and I'm drawing on it right now. Every act of God in our lives, Lord, all your kindness, all your generosity, I forever remember you don't have to do it. God was the one who initiated the covenant, and he was the one who came down and paid for the covenant. That's what's so crazy. Do we need to talk about covenant here for a second? So what happened is a greater king, the suzerain, that's the, the, the word for it in Hebrew, he would enter into a covenant with a lower people, a vassal, and there would be a treaty between them, and the king would do some things, and they would promise and do some things. And here's the crazy thing about the new covenant. God's, uh, God is the greater king, and, uh, okay, okay, we'll put it this way. So when they would enter in a covenant together, what they would do is, uh, let's just pretend this side is Israel, and this, since my wife's in this one, she'll be the Israel, and uh, this side is Assyria. Let's just say they're entering in a covenant together. The two covenant representatives would come, and they would cut a prescribed number of animals in half. And so they would lay the, uh, the halves opposite each other. We see this uh, in Jeremiah, how this is done, and there would be a blood path. And they would hold hands, and they would walk between the pieces. And the symbolism was as follows, is if I break this covenant, may the same fate, they're doing it before God and before people, may the same fate that befell these animals would befall me. May I be torn to pieces in death. They're, they're, um, so they, they were blood brothers. There was nothing, there was nothing, I mean, even family relationships were not, uh, uh, not superior to a covenant relationship that was shed by blood. And so there would be the walking of blood. Uh, the shedding of blood, there would be promises that were made. There would be a covenant meal that would be taken together. We got a covenant meal. And so uh, I, sh I shouldn't be getting into all this stuff. But it's interesting, when God made a covenant with man, uh, the first, uh, with Abraham, so he, uh, here's the greater king. He comes and makes promises to Abraham. And Abraham cuts up the prescribed number of pieces, right? And you're expecting Abraham to walk through this. Abraham has all these obligations, right? And what happens? God ca causes Abraham to fall into a sleep. And God, the Spirit of God, comes down as a smoking, uh, as, as a smoking thing, and, um, and God himself passes between the pieces. So what's the symbolism? If man breaks this covenant, God himself will be torn to pieces. And what happened? Man, we broke it from the, God, we broke it from the human side. And so God said, I'm going to come as God once again, and I'm going to fulfill the God side of the promises and the human side of the promises. So now the covenant's made between God and man, so there's nothing you and I can do to screw it up. And so he puts us into Jesus, the safest place we can ever be, and now God delights to treat you as if you were Jesus himself. So what are you doing when you say, Lord, have mercy? I recognize that God himself was torn to pieces to keep that covenant.
Oh, man. That wasn't in the notes, but that was good. What an awesome covenant. Why is my voice going up? And they cried, have mercy on a son of David. Well, I'm going to read verse nine, uh, 20, chapter 9, verse 27, 28 again. And as Jesus passed on from there, the two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on a son of David. When he entered the house, Jesus doesn't answer these guys. Jesus is hearing these guys. They're caught up in the crowd. These guys are yelling, and Jesus goes into the house. Now, you can imagine maybe the crowd's starting to disperse. Oh, Jesus is in the house. What do these guys do? Oh, he's in the house. There's nothing we can do. We don't want to disrupt this. No, these guys, I want you to see, faith has some persistence to it. Faith wasn't just sitting on the side of the road saying, if God wants to heal me, if he, you know, we're blind guys, he's, he's the son of God, you know, if he, he wants to heal me, he knows where I live. Well, I've heard Christians make some of the stupidest statements like that. If God wants to bless me, he knows where I live. How's that working for you? There's nowhere in the New Testament where someone's like just living, doing nothing, zap, oh my goodness, I'm blessed. That's not how it works. Faith responds to God's activity. Okay, and so these guys, they're, they're, they're hearing it. They get off their butts. They're groping along. I mean, this is inconvenient for them. Maybe they're grabbing on in the crowd. Now, I don't know how they found their way to the house. Look at this next part. They're actually going to go in the house. Okay, and so, I mean, this is offensive. I'm sorry, this is offensive. I mean, they, uh, have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus does nothing, keeps walking, and doesn't answer them. Faith does not get offended when you don't understand. Faith does not get offended when you don't understand. And when they enter, when he entered the house, he goes in the house, doesn't answer. The crying, son of David, have mercy on me. It's met with silence. Might be a couple reasons, okay, for this. Um, one might be because they're yelling, son of David, and if Jesus was uh, going to turn and heal them uh, as the son of David, it might give everyone a completely wrong view of what he was looking to do. Maybe that has to do it. Maybe they were because they were tying it to the political thing, and this is the time. And remember, there was times they tried to make him king by force in other places, all that type of stuff. Maybe, maybe that was going on. But here's what I think is going on. Um, uh, when we're saying, have mercy on us, that cry is too general. Have mercy opens the door saying, I need compassion. It's placing myself in that, in that covenant place. It's calling for an application of that covenant love, that mercy. Have mercy on me, son of David. But guys, faith is specific. Have mercy on me. For what? Have mercy. What's the problem? I mean, there's other times it's almost comical, this blind guy standing before Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want? It's not enough to come and I need help. Faith is specific. Okay? Remember, what are we learning about today? We're learning about faith. It's one thing for us to live with our doors open to God's mercy and to live with his compassion, but I've got to have a problem that's specific, okay? I don't just have a general, I just generally need God's love. What do you want? You know, just, just the blessing of God. Well, okay, great, you know what I mean? Uh, we do the same thing today. As people make requests so broad and so vague that if anything happens, maybe they would see it as some kind of request or they wouldn't even know if it didn't happen. It's just so general, right? Why do we do that? Because we're afraid it's not going to get answered. And we're afraid if we're specific, and that specific request doesn't get answered, then, well, man, what, what else could not be true about God? And what else? And you're, so you try to set it up so it makes it easy so you don't have to lose favor with God and lose your view of him. But see, once I'm specific, it does, if it doesn't come through, what am I going to do with that? Right? So I'll just make it so general so I feel safe and, you know, I can still kind of have this long-distance relationship with God and... I can have a God who is removed from me, uh, sort, of, sort of this gray blur in the sky, and so I don't have to really get personal with this. I'll just keep my request vague. Lord, have mercy, right? 
Uh, what did Jesus say? Whatsoever things you desire when you pray. Guys, when you desire something, that's specific. The word, uh, when it says ask, for whatsoever things you ask for. Ask is a specific word. Ask and you will receive is what the Bible says, right? And a lot of times the idea is be bold and brazen about it, right? Not this, uh, if it be thy will, que sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. We'll pray and if nothing happens, we'll blame it on God's sovereignty. I think it's very significant that a general cry for mercy when there's a specific need was met with silence because there's nothing to respond to. So we live in his, we live in his compassion, Lord have mercy, but if, got, if I have a need that's specific, I have to join my specific need to his specific mercy. Faith believes for something specific. But Jim, God already knows our need before we ask. Why do I need to be specific about it? God will never act upon us without our cooperation. He may initiate the move. In fact, he initiates the move every single time. That's grace. Everything that's going to come good in your life, he's already said yes to 2,000 years ago. All of God's promises are yes and amen. By grace, that is God initiating a move in your life. Faith is our response to that move. But when, uh, when we see his move as salvation, faith responds to that and receives it. When faith is, uh, or is just, Lord, have mercy, and you're not even sure if he wants to heal you, that's not faith. When faith sees that God is moved and uh, healing is his idea, it's not our idea, we're not trying to convince him, he's trying to convince us. It's always God's will to heal, God wants you well. When it sees that God has made that move, he paid for it 2,000 years ago, faith responds to that. Specific mercy, do you see that? And so Jesus is silent. I don't believe he's ignoring them, I believe he's working on them in their silence. His silence is drawing out their faith. His, his silence is narrowing their focus, right? And so Jesus doesn't answer him, it just says he entered the house. Verse 28, when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe I'm able to do this? Now, Jesus isn't just, like, making conversation. There's a reason that he's asking him this. What's he doing? He's continuing to draw faith out of him, because this general faith and his mercy isn't enough to get them healed. He has to have specific faith. We're going to see that Jesus does this with several people. Uh, the Syrophoenician woman, he's like, uh, is it right for me to take the bread and give it to the dogs? Talking about healing, I mean... Jesus isn't trying to offend her. He's drawing faith out of her. Guys, if we're going to do the works that Jesus did, we're going to need to see what he did. And there's going to be times that the Lord is going to prompt us to have conversations that help narrow their focus on Jesus so they can have faith, specific faith. How are we doing? So let's, let's break it down. Do you believe I'm able to do this? While you're out there, you're just kind of swept along by the crowd, public opinion. I mean, at this time, they believe Jesus can probably do just about anything. But do you believe I'm, I mean, everyone out there is saying I can do it. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Guys, at some point, certainly when it comes to healing, you're all alone with Jesus. It doesn't matter what the crowd believes, what the preacher's saying, what your favorite preacher's saying. Uh, there comes a point where you are alone with Jesus. Do you believe Jesus is able to do this? Whatever this is in your case, in this case, blindness. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Let me read 928 again. When he entered the house, the blind man came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. They had the right answer, but they still weren't healed. Okay? They believe God can heal him. They believe that Jesus is, is uh, maybe the one from Isaiah who's anointed to uh, open blind eyes. And I believe um, this describes millions of people today. They believe God's real. They believe God's got all the power. They believe God can do it. 
And so they have faith in the power of God. God can do anything, but they're not healed, right? Because faith in the raw power of God is not the same as faith to receive. God can do anything. He's all-powerful. Lots of, lots of people believe that. They didn't receive healing. It was the ones who came to Jesus expecting him to help. Let me say it again. Faith in the raw power of God is not the same as faith to receive. The Bible says that... Um, Whatsoever things you desire, when you, when you ask, pray, believe that you have received them. Well, that's a big difference. Believe that you have received. It's believe and then receive. They're, they're believing, um, I, I, one translation says, um, uh, it talks about believing, it talks about taking hold of something. Okay, so it's not this just, I'm waiting to get zapped. God knows my name. He can do it when he wants. It's there's, there's a reaching out and taking it. There's a seeing what he has paid for. I'm believing that I'm receiving. I have received it. God, this belongs to me because of what Jesus has done. Your people say, I believe. I'm a strong believer in what? You believe what? See, it's too vague. It's too general. Jesus is not giving these guys a theological exam to see whether or not he'll heal them. He's bringing their faith into focus, and focus must always, faith's focus must always be on the person of Jesus. Faith doesn't find focus in faith. I see lots of that today. People are preaching 80-part series on faith. I guess I can't make fun of 80-part series right now. <laughs> Let's just be honest. As we're on part 13 after part 9, okay? And so, um, uh, but there's a lot of faith in faith. It's because I have faith I'm going to be healed. No, 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 no. Uh, your faith is not in your faith. Your faith is in him. Faith doesn't talk about your faith. Faith talks about what Jesus has done. And Jesus is bringing this together. Do you believe on your blindness, or do you believe that I'm able to do this? Are you going to be moved by what you see, taste, hear, smell, or feel? Or are you going to be moved by the person of Jesus? Do you believe you have received? In the Greek, um, do you believe I'm able to do this? Okay, that, that, you can't really write it in English unless you like capitalize this with an exclamation point. But that's kind of the idea there. Jesus uh, is saying, do you believe I'm able to do this, right? You know I've healed lepers. You know I've rebuked fevers. You know I've stopped hemorrhages. You know I've delivered people from demons. You know I've calmed storms. You know I've raised the dead. But do you believe I'm able to do this? And the Spirit of God is coming to many of you today. You've heard these miracles. Boy, you just heard about this person with the martial arts uh, injuries. You know, you've heard about this uh, other person, uh, you know, with the, the effects of the cancer treatments. Awesome. Do you believe he, he was able to do this for you, whatever your this is. How many of you realize it's easy to believe Jesus heals diseases I don't have? I might be the truest thing I've said today, other than quoting scripture. Those are way truer. He's healed the leper. Surely if someone can heal a leper, they can do anything. Jesus has raised the dead. Surely any, you know, uh, you know, anyone who can raise the dead can do anything, but you don't have leprosy and you're not dead. So those things, it's easy to believe you can do anything except what's matter with me. Jesus said, do you believe I'm able to do this? And I love the simplicity. Yes, Lord. Their faith has come to focus. There's, the, there's that expectancy that's come to faith. You notice they call him Lord. It's the same word used in Romans 10.9. If you uh, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, right? It tells me that in their blindness, they had more sight than a lot of people who had sight. They were able to see things. 
They understood that the son of David was more than just this political activist or military hero. They understood indeed here is the focus of God on earth. He is Lord. Yes, Lord. Matthew 9, 29, then he touched their eyes. No words yet. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes, yes, Lord. Jesus doesn't say anything. He touches their eyes. And so, you know the blind talk with touch. If you've ever been received by a blind person, what do they do? They're feeling your face. They're getting to know you by the features of your face with their hands. Jesus talked to their eyes by touching them. Remember, they've never seen him. They've never seen a miracle. He spoke to them with a language that the blind can understand. He touched their eyes, and he connected, uh, he connected his ability to their eyes through touch, through a language they would understand. Just a few minutes earlier that day, a woman who had been hemorrhaging for 20, 12 years, she connected the power of God with her touch. And here, just a few minutes later, Jesus is now connecting the power of God with his touch. Matthew 9, 29, and he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done unto you. According to, uh, in, in, the, in the New Testament word for it, is to square up or line up. And so today here, a picture would be, you know, when an elevator comes and it reaches the floor, you know, it's, it'll say it's going to floor seven. Uh, here it is at six. It's not according to yet. When it reaches floor seven, it's according to. It's in proportion to. It's lined up with, okay? So he's saying, you have received this, this, uh, this healing according to, in proportion to your faith, okay? Your healing is now lined up with your faith. Okay, here's healing, your faith is lined up with it, you've got it, nice and easy. What's faith? The faith that says, yes, Jesus is able to do this for me. Guys, faith is personal. It's not this just general, God can do it, he can do anything, he's sovereign. Guys, if you're sitting here today, I'm hoping that uh, you're placing yourself under the compassion of God. And you're saying, this compassion of God is for me. That's faith. That's it. Don't make it any more complicated. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm, I'm seeing that you are the person of Jesus. You are the one. You are the covenant representative bringing all the, all the blessings to me, including healing, and it's for me. Faith is coming to Jesus, expecting him to help. 18 times in the New Testament, Jesus said something along the lines of, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Uh, be healed according to your faith. And all 18 times, it was just simply they came to Jesus, expecting him to help them personally faith never looks on itself faith never conscious of itself faith never saying do i have enough faith here i don't know if i have enough faith for this thing faith is always conscious of its object and that's jesus faith is the eye of your soul and right now i'm not conscious that i have eyes i'm too busy seeing you but somehow if i was able to somehow just start beginning to think about my eye become conscious of my take out my eyes to see if they're there that's not how eyes are supposed to focus. Eyes are supposed to look out. Faith doesn't look at faith to see if it has enough faith. That's putting faith in faith. That's what so many people are doing. Faith looks at Jesus. There's a gift of faith in 1 Corinthians 12, but all faith is a gift, and it comes from looking at Jesus. Faith is a reflex of action to seeing who Jesus really is. Oh, yeah, he's the one. He is the son of David. Lord, have mercy. Yes. If you go around saying, do I have faith? Do I have enough faith? I'm not sure about my faith. Then you're not conscious of the only person who creates faith. Jesus is the object of faith. Therefore, he's the author and finisher. He's the start of it. He's the finish of faith, and he's everything in between. It's about him start to finish. 
Faith is not a new age energy that I carry around in my, inside of myself, and I begin to work it up and say, he's able to do this for me. He's able to do this for me. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my ability to try to work this thing up. I'm just, it's surrender. It's yes, Lord. Faith does not say, I have faith, therefore I will be healed. Faith says, he's willing, he's able. Thank you, Jesus. To have faith, I don't think about faith. To have faith, I think about Jesus. Is it getting simpler, guys? I don't look at myself and feel condemned because I don't have faith. Okay? It's okay to, look at, it's okay to recognize that you don't have faith. But recognize what the solution is. Look to Jesus. That's why we said faith comes by hearing. I'm hearing about Jesus. I'm hearing these stories about Jesus. I'm meditating on these stories about Jesus. I look outside of myself. I forget about what I'm see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. Forget about the doctor's report. I forget what the boss said. I forget what the economist said. I forget what the bank statement says. And I look and see, what does he say? Faith is focusing on the person of Jesus, the words of Jesus. So if you're here today and you say, Jim, I don't have faith for healing today, God bless you. You're in the right place. Faith will come. Do you hear me? If you hang around and you keep hearing these stories of Jesus, and you don't just hear them today, but you were to take these home and begin to think about these things. Think about the promises. Think about it. Faith has an existence because of Jesus. And if Jesus isn't there, there ain't faith. And guess what? Jesus is here through his word. He's here through his spirit. And as we begin to hear these things, faith rises up. Faith responds and says, thank you, so be it unto me. Faith becomes the hand that reaches out to take hold of him because of who he is and what he said. I'm seeing who you are. You are trustworthy. You are the one. Yes, you are my healer. Matthew 9, verses 30 and 31, and their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it, but they went away and spread his fame through all the district. Here they are, they're healed. The first miracle they saw was their own. Some of you, that could be you today. First miracle you see is your own. The first face they saw was Jesus's. <laughs> and Jesus sternly told them, it's like he's getting them by the shoulder and says, you will not tell people this. And they went out and told everybody. <laughs> and so uh, we talked about this before, but I mean, Jesus had part of his mission was to stay alive until the cross. And so the religious leaders are trying to kill him, persecute him, and it just made things harder. So I don't want to go into all that. So what does all this mean for us today? You know, a lot of people have never seen a miracle, <clears throat> just like these two blind men. They'd only heard secondhand reports. And I love this. They just simply said, yes, Lord, and the first miracle was their own. I want you guys to think about that. There wasn't a whole bunch of hoops. They came to Jesus. They somehow they had overcome obstacles. You may have to overcome some obstacles of doubt and past bad religious teachings and disappointments from when it didn't work. And just come and put yourself in that position of, Lord, have mercy. I am opening myself up to the covenant because you have committed yourself to me. And part of that covenant is he bore your sickness, carried your pain, by your stripes you were healed. I hope that you're learning to be specific. Be done with this. If it be thy will. You know, like Jim, doesn't the Bible teach that? No, not when it comes to prayers. Uh, what it says is that in James 3 it says, um, don't say I'm going to plan and do this, uh, but say, Lord, if it be your will. It's talking about planning without God. It's not talking about praying when there's a clear will of God. Okay, so don't, don't confuse the two. Away with this tone of prayer. It says, Lord, you're sovereign. Anything that you want to do is okay with me. That's not spiritual maturity. That's a cop-out. We have to learn to ask, dare to bring our need, and connect with the mercy of God. And can we learn a lesson from these guys? Don't give up. Okay, when there's silence, don't say, he's not listening. 
Call it a day. It must not be his will. It must not be his timing. Um, keep on yelling your head off. Don't say, he's gone in the house. That's the end. Oh, we got prayer today, and, and it didn't happen. Uh, I guess that's it. I'm, I'm just done with this whole thing. Um, don't quit because you don't over understand. Okay, so many Christians are so quick to give up. And Jesus asked, do you believe I'm able to do this? And let me just say with all my heart, if you can't say yes, don't be ashamed of that. Let the Holy Spirit give you a bigger view of Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit reveal to you who he is, what his promises are. Meditate on these promises. Guys, that's why we're going through these stories, so you can see who he is. Meditate on these stories. Meditate on these promises. Holy Spirit, make Jesus bigger in my view. Because if you, if you don't have the faith now, it's okay. He wants to produce it in you, okay? He starts the faith, and he creates it just by being there. Faith is not this mental thing, this psychic concentration, trying to believe, trying to believe. That's new age. Faith is this inner knowing birthed by the Holy Spirit, revealing to you that he loves you and he is able. You're recognizing, I can't make it happen. That's that helpless dependence. But if you stick with Jesus uh, long enough and these stories in the Gospels, the Holy Spirit will produce that healing faith in you. He puts an inner knowing and an inner assurance where you can say, yes, Lord, and he touches you and you're made whole. I'll stand for closing prayer. How are we doing? Babe, I got a mic up here already. That was amazing. Like, really amazing. I feel like I should give it up for Jesus, for Jim. Um, I feel like the, this whole series is really setting us up, you guys. I really feel like we're, we are getting ready to step into a new place, a new realm of glory because of this. It's going to be new. It's going to be good. And I'm excited. Yes, Lord. <laughs> so I, I'd like to end something with, with something a little bit different because... Well, I want to end with something, too. So oh, have, you are? So let's have two endings. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I wanted to come back down and close it. Are you going to want to end after that? Or are you going to end after I'll end now, and then you can end now. Okay. You don't need this. I don't need that. I'll just be back here All waiting. Right. <laughs> don't pay attention to Mary. <laughs> Here's how I wanted to end. I wanted to end with uh, two phrases. The first one is, Lord, have mercy. And the second one is, yes, Lord. And so uh, it's right now, if it helps you to close your eyes, to, to concentrate. And, uh, and I want you to just think about that covenant that was made, that there was... From the God side, he initiated all the promises. And from the human side, Jesus initiated uh, all the response. And there was that shedding of blood. There was the tearing apart. And so, Lord, we position ourselves. Uh, maybe if it helps you to open your hands like you're receiving a present. But, Lord, we position ourselves under the covenant and we say, Lord, have mercy. Let your loving kindness come into our life because of what Jesus has done. Lord, we recognize that if you, if you have a need for healing, if you have emotional problems, drug addiction, if you're feeling suicidal, if you have a need in your finances, God says that I have committed myself to you so your problems are now my problems. And I have, one of his names is El Shaddai, which means I'm the God of infinite supply. So Lord, have mercy. I'm placing myself under the covenant. and I'm, I have a need. And so, Lord, I'm saying, Lord, have mercy. I'm drawing on that loving kindness of God. 
Just take a moment and just position yourself in that, that helpless dependence. And with that in mind, just respond. So the, the, the covenant was his, his, his part. We're putting ourselves under it. And our response is, yes, Lord. Yes. Whatever your need is. So specifically think of that need. Yes, Lord. Lord, I believe that you are able to do this for me. Whatever that need is. Lord, have mercy. I'm putting myself under that compassion. And yes, Lord. You are able to do this for me. All right, babe, go ahead. Okay, so I talked to Claire, and it sounds like the, the uh, prayer team, they prayed for, like, just no agenda. Like, the agendas would be torn up. So we're going to just fall into alignment with that. Is that okay with everybody? We don't come to church just to come to church, right? That's kind of boring. Claire's coming forward routine okay so they they had these uh papers it says routine and it's in a box so they as a prophetic act they tore them up this morning <laughs> so kind of explain some there we go yes lord so i i want us to practice receiving this faith i want us to practice like put into action what you just heard and so we're just going to come up front and worship again. And um, if you want to leave, that's fine. I'm, I'm not going to be offended at all, seriously. If you got to go, you got to go. But yes, we got the prayer team is the first one up here. And um, so we're going to sing um, our Father. And when we get to the let heaven come part, I want you guys to really partner with the Lord. Like when we say let heaven come, we're not saying, God, please let heaven come. We're not begging him for something. Heaven is already in you and he flows through you. So when you sing let heaven come, this is your prayer. This is your activation that we're ending with is, God, would you, would you like help heaven come through me and activate that faith, you know, according to your will, let it be done, okay? All right, are we good?